0: Okay, so welcome back everybody I'm Josh and we've got Carnifex with us. G'day. and we're back for another episode of the chronic man podcast so thanks very much guys for your emails and uh, comments on the, on the show so far. Uh, we have reached a bit of a milestone. Uh, we've got over 40,000 downloads so that's pretty amazing. I didn't think we'll get that far so thank you very much for everybody who supported us to this point and hopefully the show's going up and up and onwards. And things will get better as we go along. So, uh, but, kind of fix, um what's been happening with you, mate, so far this past week?
1: Yeah, uh, bits to talk about. Really, um, I'm back to work, so I've been in and out of uh, Discord, not as much as I'd like to be. Um, Marcel's on holidays, unfortunately. I'm sure he's enjoying himself, but uh, you know, it's uh, he's missed. We get some updates every now and then. Um, I guess the the two big sort of things I wanted to chat about first were, um, and I probably touched on them previously, but there's new contrasts and shades that GW is releasing for the month of July, and um, they're single pigment um, paints. And and I guess the main thing that means is that you're not going to see separation in the contrast as much as, say, the older stuff like the Apothecary white um and they're quite thick and I think some of them act differently so um Prince Tom recommended checking out a YouTube video that Juan Hidalgo Miniatures does where he goes through the gauntlet of the new shades and contrasts and um the guy's sort of an expert painter so I I recommend you check it out there's 101 different people um testing these paints and showing you how they work. But one Hidalgo is probably, um, I would say, the best guy. I hope I don't cop flack for that, but tough luck. Fight me. Um, <laughs> then the Horace Heresy game, it's its sort of, it's hit the stores, the stockists, your local game shop, like a, like a hammer blow. There's pallets and pallets of the stuff everywhere. Um, I myself bought into it a little bit um i'll be doing iron warriors uh it's cool because it's old school sort of retro marines during the heresy there's a reaction system in it so it's not just your turn my turn crap um you know you might march forward and shoot and then someone else turns around and blasts you as you come up it's it's very cool a bit of tactical element to it awesome uh, tanks and miniatures um now bry who's in our discord um and one of the members he's been painting blood angels horus heresy figures in a really classic scheme like rogue trader meets second Ed scheme and i recommend you check out what he's doing it's insane i really love his work um and then in the remote gaming schedule side of things, Chris Snyder um, is basically—he's the guy you want to hit up if you want to organise a game of Manor War, Space Hulk, Blood Bowl. Have a chat with him in the remote game section. See what you guys can work out time-wise. He's a very generous host. Um, played some games with him before. Awesome stuff. If you if you have some spare time and you guys can tear it up. Um, Now, painting-wise, everyone's been going nuts. It's great. Um, As usual, lots of stuff that I could never dream to be that good, so it's great to see the sort of techniques people use. Whiskey and Wizards has been doing classic Eldar Guardians. They look fantastic, just staggeringly beautiful. Um, Morglum did a dwarf gyrocopter, and it's really, really cool. Definitely recommend you guys check that out if you like gyrocopters or dwarves. (laughs) uh event side did some sweet orcs with like halberds and basically can openers that sort of stuff um, chris snyder again working on epic orcs he posted up some beautiful war bikes um, that he's worked on and he's working on little, little stands of um orc knobs and things like that with little banners very cool to see mustering of arms he's been coming in the paint and chat um, almost every night Uh, Canadian Knights and working on some Dark Elves. I believe they're going to be like allies for his gobbos. Um, It's really cool to see. He uses the contrasts and things like that as well. And he's always um, happy to have a chat with people and um, recommend you hop on if you see him on and um, have a chat. Now, Owen Stadden, he did, I think it's a bull Taurus with the Chaos Dwarf Rider. That was very cool to see. I love Chaos Dwarves. Um, I know people are a bit divided on them, but come on, they're one of the most sort of iconic, unique things out there alongside with like Skaven. Um, Very cool to see, especially the big hats. Um, Covering Fire did a beautiful Chaos Dwarf Astrogoth. Uh, he's that uh, wizard that's slowly turning to stone, so he's got like a little steam-powered mech suit or magic-powered. I don't know. You tell me. Um, I'm not the Warhammer guy. And then Kettle Trout did an awesome zoat for fantasy. Um, I believe in fantasy, zoats are good guys and like basically friends of the forest, wood elf kind of things. Um, Kettle Trout's painting style is fantastic. It's it's otherworldly. <laughs> um Bry again, he painted up some plastic monoposed dwarfs, and they're really, really crisp. Um, really, it's awesome to see what people can do with those old plastics. You know, some people just do them justice. Um, Vostraun, he did crimson fists, terminators, very nice second ed sort of style. Um, Kazad did a toilet, an outhouse. It was um, excellent to see. Maybe, I, I think people complained it was a bit too clean. But it's, it was awesome. And he's still working on um, excellent, beautiful uh, dwarf characters as well. Now, Al Sutton's been working on some brilliant-looking ogres. And also Chris Spee from Western Australia, he's working on Slash Demons. And he basically showed everyone his uh, mounted demonettes. They're fantastic. Um, really, I, I love seeing all the old classic demons, um, especially all the mounted ones. They were nuts. Um, Harrison uh, basically did a Eldar support weapon and it's it's kind of like fine bone China it's white with the sort of um, blue uh, hand hand sort of uh, painted markings looks excellent and Uh, One cool thing I got to see was Clem posted pictures of the family playing Heroes Quest together. And that's a massive nostalgia hit. And it's great to see young and old playing together, having fun, especially those old Milton Bradley games. So such a gateway drug into the hobby and they were fun. That that was the main thing. Um, Now... As we know, we've been working on Necromunda. I am slack and behind on that, so I I have to kick myself in the bum. But um, you've got guys like Dingleson and Harrison working on stuff. Um, Dingleson did uh, Bounty Hunters. They look great. And Harrison's been painting up some Eshes, which are excellent. Um, Davide has been playtesting his custom 40K campaign, Marduk. And with, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but it's Selmin Rico, 1985. Basically, they've been working through the game mechanics um, and posting up some beautiful terrain shots and some really awesome classic blood angels, really old models painted fantastically. They were working through it. Um, It's great to see. And then you've got Verminator's been working on his ultramarines and also trying to make sort of custom fluffy rules for each chapter for space Marines to give them a flesh them out a bit more. Um, I I guess the codex really only covered certain space Marine groups. So he's trying to to, um, work on that and flesh all of the other ones out as well. And then you've got myself and Shattershield. We've been working on things like termagants and seeing what works um i managed to paint up some gene silicault limos and Tyrannid warriors and things like that and i'm just trying to get them tabletop ready nothing fantastic (laughs) cool mate um i guess guess that's a big summary
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i was actually just scrolling through it now i've been sort of um uh slightly detached from everything so far because i've got so much other stuff going on in the background so I have been avoiding any distractions. So this is the only time i sort of actually sat down and actually gone through a lot of the stuff that's happening on Discord lately. And uh, Whiskey and Wizards have got some really nice Elder, retro Elder, like, you know, Rogue Trader, um, uh, you know, sort of aged uh, models from Jess Goodwin. And he's working on some really good stuff there. He actually got noticed by Mike McVeigh on Instagram, which is pretty pretty awesome of him, So, um, which is really good to see. Uh, Tom Young's got some really nice-looking... Uh, he's got those all Rogue Trader Orcs, and he's done some banners for those models now. For a lot of his like, vehicles and characters and everything look really great. Um, also, Bry's working on some Monopo's uh, Dwarfs from 4th Edition, uh, which also look great. And Chris B is working on his uh, Chaos Slaanesh, uh army, which also look great. So, yeah, lots of progress happening here in the Discord. It's always encouraging to see that. And um, so I've just left a few comments there for the guys to um, keep them going and spur them on. But uh, now I have not seen Bry's, uh, 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 he's like his blood angel. Um, what's her name, Marines? If it sounds like I'm on drugs, it's because I only had like five hours sleep and I've just had so much ibuprofen from the bloody headache that's been killing me. <laughs> Uh, so if I sound like really I'm really out of it, that's probably why. Just probably nothing, nothing new.
1: Just scroll up um, slightly in the hobby project spit, and you'll see um, one of his Marines. It's pretty sweet.
0: Okay, I'm seeing a shoulder pad that he's done, sort of the Mike McVeigh black and gold kind of freehand <laughs> on it, and that kind of thing. And I see now Owen's uh, very cool looking bull centaur. Got it that's around cool. base, Owen. What's going on there? A to Sigma, my mate. I see. Okay. Uh, but that's that's really good to see. Um, someone's actually playing around with some Lego here. <clears throat> I'm not on
1: drugs, honestly. I'm, I'm not on drugs, but it sounds like the yeah. days and Princeps Tom built a Lego railway through his backyard. It's insane, <laughs> it's so cool.
0: It looks like someone's actually doing some molding, like, actually, um, yep, they've taken some models like the old regiment's renowned guys and cloning them basically with uh, uh the press. Mold press stuff. Yeah, which I'll need yeah. to do as well because I've got some models I need to press mold up for Epic. That's um, a good idea. I'm going to watch what he does there. But, um, yeah, Morglum's um, Dwarf Gyrocopter, outstanding. Uh, he is the master. So really, really nice. And, um, yeah, no, some really good stuff in here. So I've been I've been away far too long, mate, I think. And now I, now yep. I can finally see Bri's very cool-looking uh, Horus Heresy Marine in bloody hell, Bright, you know. I think Bri's come a really a long way, like in his painting. Um, it's it's really starting to show like the, the level he's, he's reaching at now. So I love all that. I love all the hallmarks on the face, like all the war paint, and that kind of thing, very dark angels. But uh, obviously in blood angel colors, and that kind of thing. So yeah, no, very, very impressed with that. Uh, event sides with some awesome uh, ruggled uh, orc spearmen. I love those models some great shields and everything on it so yeah a lot of stuff to love there so if you haven't checked it out please do that guys uh now you talked about those paints and that's interesting because i saw something about that recently and i thought why they why are they bringing out a new range so that that you've basically answered that question for me it looks like the pigments changed and it's not going to separate as much um Mm -hmm. which is interesting because you know i and i want to check out um juan's uh youtube channel because i've I've seen stuff he's done before, which have been absolutely outstanding. I mean, he's he's sort of like on Mike McVeigh's level, you know that that kind yeah. of uh, clean, highly clean, very sharp, um, very beautifully blended uh, paint 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 jobs. He's done a, I think he did like the cover of the Eldar Codex, like the Exarch. Uh, he actually, did I think he did that one or something? He did it one not so long ago, and I sort of he sort of dropped off the scene. I haven't seen anything he's done for a long time, but. I know he did one of those. He did like a big conversion on one of those on models. But yeah, really, really good painter. So if he if he can do if he can you know make them really successful, then uh, that's that's great to hear. And it also in it you know, I started my um, I started a new channel called Section 9 Studios. And of course, my channel was originally called Section 9 Studios, and I did painting tutorials and that kind of thing for A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, and then it sort of progressively changed into uh, the Chronic Command, and we did all the retro stuff. So I started up another channel uh, separate to the Chronic Command, which basically, uh, you know, up, I've uploaded and re-edited a lot of the old uh, videos I first did like four years ago. And you know, it makes me think whether whether I'm wasting my time because all these new paint that this the, the paint they paints are bringing out now are going to revolutionize how we paint miniatures and like the entire process of actually painting a model may change dramatically to the fact that you know the way we paint now the style we paint it now may be completely obsolete in uh, in future generations of painters like you know my son when he, he comes of age when he wants to start painting yeah i'll probably get him onto these contrast paints because why would i want him to suffer the, <laughs> the horrendous <laughs> amount of time and years to you know build up all that skill level when he can just just slap on some paint and instantly get gratification on seeing, you know, shading highlighting and that sort of mid tone uh, coming through straight away. Uh, and, the, and those paints are just going to get the the formula and the, you know, the, the, the process of making those paints is going to get better and better and better. And other companies like Vallejo are going to catch up and they're going to bring out their range of these style of paints. Uh, Army painter brought out a, a, a set of those as well. Um, so I'm interested to see how they go, and I think I'm almost ready to, you know, start experimenting with them because, hell, if it if it speeds up the painting process, uh, and for certain things like if you're dealing with lots of, um, for example, the Marines like the armor, you know, normally I would uh, if I'm just painting like 20 of those guys, I would normally go with an airbrush and and base base coat them in a, in a color and then go through the the shading uh, shading and highlighting from there, but if you've got a paint that does that in one step um, you know, you're silly not to do it really. So yeah. Do you, have you dabbled with the contrast paints at all kind of fix?
1: Yeah. Cause I'd, uh, linked me to a few videos and one of them was actually one's video and um, I was using them. I would say not to the effect that they should be used. So once I, once I started watching the videos about them and I started fiddling around with them, um, yeah, essentially you can use them as a scaffold for um, doing layered uh, highlights and, and shading and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I I guess like some things I've um, undercoated in white, some in gray and some in black. And so you've got to pick your battles on how, you, how you're going to use those contrasts. So definitely if you've never used them before, watch some videos, find someone's style of video that you like and start experimenting with contrasts on some test models, even some old monopose stuff, um, and give them a go. It's, it's pretty fun. I've, I've enjoyed using them so far. They have sped up um, the process quite a bit.
0: Cool. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I look forward to experimenting with them, especially for Epic Space Marine. I think that would be perfect yeah. for it. Uh, you know, the last thing I want to do is dick around trying to paint There's six millimeter models. Um, I talked to Paul about it too. It is using contrast for his stuff. I think that's the way to go uh, for that kind of scale. Um, Now, also, I will be bringing out a painting tutorial uh, for a high-off silver helm champion. I posted it up yesterday. I said, uh, trying to gauge interest, you know, would you guys want to see a, you know, like a painting tutorial on this model? Uh, The response has been pretty huge, 66 thumbs up. So I think we're going to go ahead with that. So that's for the Gathering Mighty Painters, and I will start that. I'm finishing up Teclas now. I uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm finishing up um, Tyrion now. Sorry, and Techless. Uh Tyrion's for the for this month for the Gathering Mighty Painters. And uh, once that's done, I can start painting the Silverhelm Champion. So I've now found a sort of a I found a way of doing painting tutorials, which I'm quite happy with, and I can edit it in a way that I'm quite happy with. It's not perfect, but it's not to the level of Juan's painting channel or you know Duncan Rhodes and that kind of thing. Those guys are professionals and they, they do a certain uh, style. They've got production values that are like way higher than I can ever do. But um, I'll give it a shot and see how it goes. Like Things like painting white, for example, which are the bane of many painters. Uh, I'll show you how to do that quite effectively on a large surface area, like all the barding on the horse, like painting that white. Uh, that could be quite a dilemma for people, but I'll show you how to do it my way um uh, and uh yeah so i look really for, i look forward to starting that and seeing how that goes and then people have always requested you know why can't you show us some or can you please show us some painting tips on how to do the sort of the you know 90s sort of style of, of painting um so yeah i hope to start that soon and hope that will be successful um and, and rega- in regards to the channel too if you haven't checked it out yet i just posted up a Epic Space Marine Titan Legions Battle Between Chaos and Eldar doing the Renegades thing at 6,000 points. Uh, it was a really fun game with Paul. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, please head over to the channel and the YouTube channel and uh, follow the links down below in the description. You'll find links to all those uh, channels there. All right, my friend, Any uh, anything else in closing?
1: Uh, look, um, if you're on Instagram or you have a look at Instagram, just check out uh, Studio McVeigh. Because Mike's sort of, you know, come out of a a, a cave and a slumber, and he's starting <laughs> to post things up again. So, um, and basically, there's a lot of other artists who comment on his work as well. So you can then click on their names and and have a sticky beak at what they're working on too. Um, yeah, and I look forward to uh, trading um, painting tutorials because I always need help. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, that's bad. That's cool. I'm, I'm really glad. But yeah, like you say, like Mike McVeigh sort of come out of this coma for all these years of, well, he's worked always in, in industry, industry, you know, doing this miniature design and running his own company at Studio, Studio McVeigh. Um, now he's sort of come back and hit the nostalgia bug, and he sort of dragged out all his. You know, I think he, I think he purchased some stuff on eBay as well, finding the old catalogs and that kind of thing. He's got. Um, a picture of a swooping hawk that he painted up for the studio back in the early 90s that's part of Jez Goodwin's collection. Okay. And he's showing those off. He's giving a lot of information about his history and how he got into the into the miniature gaming uh, painting scene and that kind of thing. So really, you don't really need uh, an interview with him necessarily for the podcast. Just go and check out his Instagram because he's, he's sharing a lot of info about uh, his history with GW and all that. Uh, which segues beautifully in today's interview because I've got Tim Prow. Now, Tim Prow is an, also a former heavy metal painter that joined the studio in the late 80s and was there until uh, about 93, 90, 93 or so. Um, and um, he worked alongside Mike uh, for a long time in the studio. So his interview today will give a great insight into uh, the background and the insights of working at the heavy metal studio uh, studio during the transition of uh brian ansell to the tom Kirby era so it was really interesting so we had uh we got tim and we got dave perry my good mate dave perry here in japan also ex heavy metal painter and uh so guys i hope you really enjoyed this interview i really enjoyed doing it i want to thank tim Prow again uh for coming on giving his time uh, twice because we got his heavy metal. Uh, showcase of his models that he's got in his personal collection plus the interview today so without further ado kind of fix shall we sign off and uh, let the people listen to the podcast yep can't wait thank you <laughs> okay so... mate thanks again do take care of yourself Cheers. and uh, see you in the next one
1: will do thank you
0: So, But yeah, thank you, absolutely. guys, for coming.
2: Thank you yeah.
0: for having us. <laughs> so, uh, so, Tim, we had, a, we had a bit of a chat before on the EpiLed thing going through your collections and that kind of thing. So it, that received a lot of uh, love from people on the, especially my Instagram, mate. My Instagram just went nuts. I think That's they had good. like over 2,000 people liking that. So that was awesome. So hopefully they got to see it. Um, so yeah, really good reception on your on your collection uh, showcase there, mate. So
2: awesome! I'm and, surprised uh, that many people remember me. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> Well, maybe they know you from various different companies you work for, mate. Because you, you know, not only were you a painter, but you're a massively um, uh, prolific sculptor. I mean, I just went through your your list on uh, it's like Wikipedia here, I think. Yeah, like Wikipedia thing where it's got all the companies you work for. And of course, you know, like um, Target Games would probably be the biggest one, and Heartbreaker and all that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, that was, was um, time. good times. That yeah, that was straight after Games Workshop, pretty much. Um, uh, Heartbreaker. They uh, Bob Watts took me on. Um, I yeah, basically I got um, suspended for a week. I was accused of working for other people while I was at Games Workshop. Uh, which I wasn't. Um, but yeah, Rip Priestley kind of suspended me. Um, and oh, during yeah. that week, I, I reached out to Phil Lewis, who'd uh, left in the previous purge. And um, he was working for Heartbreaker. And I asked if he could help out. And he says, Yeah. So I got in touch with Bob. Um, and he gave me a couple of commissions to try, see if I was any good. Uh, and during that week, I made my first two figures. Um, and then I knew that they were prepared to take me on. So when I went back after that week, um, um, Rick was saying, well, you, we're going to have to take this further because we can't really prove it, but we we think there's a problem. And uh, I basically turned around and said, look, you know, I, I can't work here in this kind of atmosphere, so I will leave. Um, and I think it was a relief for them because they couldn't really prove anything. And it was a relief for me because I've got a job to be a sculptor um, and yeah, I left and worked for Heartbreaker straight after that.
0: Wow. Okay. That's, that's quite, that's quite a story we can go, we can go into if you like, but, <laughs> um, uh, but I remember going into, um, uh, orc's nest when I was there in 94 and I saw this big rack. It was all these heartbreak miniatures like Kev Adams and like, um, yourself <laughs> and, uh, Chaz Elliott yeah. Had like these amazing little bios on the back of the blisters where you could have like a photograph and like a whole story behind the the sculptor and that like kind of stuff. And I actually remember buying a couple of your minotaurs, mate. Um, All right. Very nice. Was it the
2: Herloon Minotaur? Is it did we have the was that for that was Wizard of the Post um, license, I think we had, wasn't it? Or was it a different one?
0: I'm not sure. There were just like this like it was a massive rack of blisters. That's what I remember. And I picked up a whole bunch stuff from Kev Adams because I loved all these orcs and stuff, yeah. and had these awesome looking um, minotaurs. And I thought, oh, they're cool. And I looked at the back, and it was yourself that sculpted. Said, <laughs> but i, I think, yeah, know. I
2: think we did. I think I did do um, a heartbreaker minotaur as well. I did um, a paint stage by stage. I'll have to break it out if I can find the pictures. I'll send them to you. Yeah, so you be great.
0: Can,
2: uh, I remember doing some tattoos on a, a minotaur a long time ago.
0: Now, of course, uh, Dave Perry um is here as well with us. Hey, Dave. Hey, How are
2: you doing?
3: Yeah, good. Thanks. I must say, it's it's actually a, a complete pleasure to uh, be involved in this this evening. I mean, uh, since I was a kid, you were a kind of hero of mine. I think. Uh,
2: Making me feel pop- so old. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I'm pretty sure. I think we've met a couple of times in the flesh back yeah. when I was probably like 16 or 17. And of course, we've been each online since then. But yeah, I think it's it's pretty awesome to actually do this.
0: <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> so Tim, let's go back all the way back to the start of when you first discovered miniatures and that kind of thing and painting and that kind of thing. When did it all sort of start for you? Ooh,
2: I think I was 13. It's strange. I I've... Just been out for a a, a coffee at Grizzly um, Church. There's a a farm next to it and um, they've got this pop-up coffee place. And I I bumped into my friend that I've not seen since we left school. And he was the reason when I was 13, we used to hang out. And he had some really old, well, they were brand new miniatures from Citadel at the time. And, And that's where the love of the miniatures came from. I started collecting as well um and we used to paint uh enamel paints um the, the humbral paints uh and yeah I've come a long way since then uh I remember that I had this old really crappy old craft knife that I used to clean the miniatures up with and I think the only way I could clean them up was because the metal was so soft you could clean them up quite easily um but yeah it was a long long time ago
0: those are the days when actual lead miniatures were quite dangerous for you, weren't they?
2: Um, I did know of a friend who used to, he didn't have a craft knife, but he used to chew the flash off his um. miniatures. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's still alive. Like but bestiality I bestiality
0: at work there on I can tell you now. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's Yeah, savage dog
2: think, at work. I don't think he ever became oh much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, don't do that uh, at home, kids. That's quite uh, a bit. Do not. We, we, we did a picture
0: business. of that, like someone actually biting the flash off some <laughs> old miniature and saying, "Do not do this, yeah. at home, kids." <laughs> yeah, please don't do this at home. Yeah. Use a craft knife. Oh, that's <laughs> I like that. That's a great vision.
2: <laughs> I was always, I think, I was always a bit wary of the methyl. I, I wouldn't do anything stupid, but you know, chew it or inhale it. But yeah, always clean up your area after. If, you know, clean the miniatures and then prime it and then it's fine to paint and stuff. It's it's very safe. Um, yeah, I've still got the, uh, I think I, the first figure I painted was a dwarf um, from the Citadel range and I've still got it somewhere. I'll, I'll send you a picture. It's still the same paint scheme. I've not repainted it. So yeah, you can see what it looked like uh, in enamels. Um, that was, yeah, I like that miniature.
0: Lovely. Okay, so this yeah, you know, so you you got you got involved in miniatures. You started collecting and painting. Uh, who were your sort of painting mentors at the time? Did you have someone that you looked or aspired to that sort of taught you how to paint, or was it sort of more of a self-development kind mm. of thing?
2: Yeah, it was it was all self-development at the time. I mean, I, they didn't really do painting demonstrations in the shops. That was maybe a few years off from doing from doing that. Um, I just paint at home with you paint. You'd have a friend round and you do some painting and stuff. And I remember I was really pleased with a, a Chaos Warrior I had painted. It was on a um, metal base, one of the early ones. And I'd um, I put some gold around his shield, and then I varnished it with paint-on varnish, and it just lifted all the gold off. I was like, no. Um, but yeah, uh, we just paint at home. There was no um, dry brushing. There was no uh, blending. It was just flat, one colour um, on, each, on each piece. Um, that was way before I started thinking about you know, tones and ink washers and all this kind of stuff.
0: So was it later where yeah. you sort of walked into a games workshop store that you discovered acrylic paints and that kind of thing and like this whole new world of miniature painting?
1: Yeah, well, I was
2: very lucky. I lived in Moore Green, and it's only probably less than a mile, maybe a mile away from Hilltop, and that's where they opened their first factory, um, and they had three open days, and I went to all three, and it was one of those that I, I don't know whether they were launching the paint at the time, but that's where I got my first uh, Citadel paints from um and yeah I went straight into that from the enamels the enamels you know this was light years ahead um using a water-based paint it was so much easier um a lot more forgiving on the paintbrush as well um and yeah and it wasn't so thick the paint could be watered down a little bit and yeah I think I I don't know what inspired me to start trying to do blending and dry brushing but I I had the, the Legolas um, Elf from the Lord of the Rings uh, figures that Games Workshop did, and that was the first one I tried to do um, blending in layers. I think I've still got that one as well somewhere. Um, it's not pretty, but it's, it's where it all started, I think.
0: Great. Okay. Wow, what a history. Okay, so you then must eventually... Um, got in contact with people at Games Workshop or through the stores or somehow, or through White Dwarf? Was it through White Dwarf that you discovered um, more about the heavy metal team or about the studio and um, and that kind of thing later on?
2: Um, I think it's from like hanging out when they did these open days or I used to go and see Carl Tebbett at the Games Workshop in Nottingham the um, when it used to be in the Broadmarsh Centre and I um, I used to hang out there. They did painting competitions every now and again, and I would join them. Um, I, I think I used to paint some of the miniatures that would go in the display case as well. Um, and then when I was 15, I, um, during my school holidays, I think I'd pestered John Blanche or some people at the studio, um, and they allowed me to come in during my school holidays, uh, and I painted, I think, for two weeks in the heavy metal team. Which was amazing. And it was just back in the day when everyone was allowed to smoke in the office. <laughs> and you've got oh, Tony Ackland at the back. <laughs> yeah, he, he seemed to be smoking nonstop. Uh, and it's, I just stunk when I came out. So my brother picked me up and, and brought me home from Nottingham. Yeah, yeah. I just stunk of cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It was, you know, you'd have Tony Ackland in the corner and all the other painters in the room um i'd see phil lewis had come down he was the photographer um so he popped in all the time and made really good friends with phil lewis mm. um and it was just amazing the the office was it was like a rabbit warren it was at enfield chambers so we had different levels and we had to share it with other companies and um it was just amazing all the different sections you'd sneak along and see what the artists were up to or the the sculptors um yeah it was it was brilliant
0: That'd be awesome and who were who were the members of the Ed metal team at that time when you were there for your two weeks uh, uh, I'm trying
2: to remember I know Sid was there wow. uh he he used to live in Hilltop, so I knew him a little bit He was a biker um my cousin uh Peter Prow, he used to work there he i think he had a falling out with Sid Sid's very interesting character he also fell out with uh alan Merritt. i think they had some kind of disputes i think there was threats going on there <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right
2: <laughs> but uh yeah um i don't know what ever happened said he was there that time but the, the when i actually joined two years later when i was 17 he'd gone um i think, I think colin dixon was in there and dave andrews i'm not sure if the other guys I think it might have been before Mike McVeigh joined. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, I think Phil was painting as well a little bit. Uh, yeah.
0: Great. And what was your first project, mate, when you first joined uh, the, stu- the studio? What was the first project you were assigned to do?
2: Um, I think when I was when I was there, when I was 15, I do remember painting some chaos thugs. Um, there was a thug that i painted green skin he looked a bit orcish so i painted him green and he had i think he had a pistol uh and a couple of those and also i did some eldar the the gray ones with the yellow helmets and the like uh tiger stripes um i did some of those the man group i think i painted um but yeah the when i first joined when i was 17 um i think i had some bob ollie the black orcs the very dark-skinned orcs um i think i had some space marines to paint uh yeah i mean really struggled to think back that far
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's fair enough mate and what was the atmosphere like working in the studio at that time
2: it was really cool um It was quirky. We had Ivan and Dale, uh, Dale Hurst and Ivan Bartlett. Um, They were there. um, Andy Craig, uh, yeah, Andy Craig, he was there. Uh, Mike McVeigh was also there. And then there was a separate little alcove room where Phil Lewis and Dave Andrews lived. They were doing stuff in there. And then there was another little room where Kev Adams uh, sculpted. So he'd pop in and out every now and again. He was quite a character as well. But it was, it was really nice. We had uh, this whole little cool office off to the side, um, and people would sneak down. Uh, you'd get John Blanche coming down, and he'd use the light box to do artwork on. Because um, it was cool, and it was quiet, and it it was away from everyone else. So he'd sneak down and just fill out with us. Um, but, yeah, it was nice just wandering the office, just seeing what everyone was up to, and seeing what projects were going on. Um,
0: so, yeah, it was really cool. Wow. Okay. It sounds like a really interesting kind of setup because you had, like, the sort of the miniatures design- designers, the artists, and the heavy metal team all very close, very in close proximity to each other. So it would be really interesting in that sense that you can, yeah, you can see what people are working on and getting inspired by, you know, someone yeah, sculpting absolutely. something or someone drawing something or whatever. So that's... Yeah yeah yeah.
2: Cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, playtesting um at lunch breaks or maybe after work um, so uh, things at the time were probably um space hulk was being playtested when i started um i'm trying to think some of the other stuff maybe epic was around about that time as well uh, that might have been when we'd moved to castle boulevard though and some kind i think it was third gen um blood bowl was being played um, so, yeah, it was all these interesting games coming out. Um, and we'd paint our own teams up and our own armies and, and then go at it at lunch breaks. And, you know, they'd take photos and sometimes it would end up in, in um, White Dwarf. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was quite a happy kind of atmosphere. It got a bit more corporate towards the end and things got a bit tighter. And especially when you'd move to, um, Castle Boulevard, the, the building was very open planned so everyone could see what you were doing. So you, maybe you couldn't sneak off to see what the schools were up to, but you couldn't sneak off to see what the artists were doing. Or um, it was all very much, you know, you, you could see Rick Priestley and Alan Merritt sat, you know, a couple of meters away from you. So you uh, felt like you had to sit at your desk a lot more, um, which was a shame. <laughs>
0: I think that's an experience me and Dave had, wasn't it, Dave? We was in yeah, that kind of situation, indeed.
3: weren't we? Yeah. I mean, I think, to be honest, guys, I mean, and Josh, you know, we've touched on this on previous uh, podcasts, but um, in terms of that timeline, you know, I think Tim was the last, of the last of the heavy metal team that really had that real true connection to like the golden era of the heavy metal team yeah uh, by which i mean it was literally like you know tim himself and then dale and andy and uh, ivan and mike and then after that you know i know there was then you know like kevin neil and stuff came in but it, that was kind of a different era that'd been ushered in yeah by the time yeah. Tim started, that it was over wasn't it and then for the rest of us we came in and we were just trying to relive the era that, that Tim. Had been
2: <laughs> <in>. <laughs> the door was closed the yeah, lights were no, turned no, off
3: no. let us in it was all over, you know, but we were, you know, but that's because that's what we'd grown up with, mate. Like, really, we'd yeah. literally grown up with you guys and the work that you'd done, and everything was really just about trying to sort of, um, you know, relive that. And, of course, it was, as you say, things have become so corporate and mm. the atmosphere has changed. changed.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's,
3: yeah.
2: It's, it was funny because I I got one foot in both yeah. sides. Um, so the Enfield Chambers was the the end of the real golden age, and it was... yeah. yeah just as we're moving, they just sold the company, Brian sold it and we were literally, I was painting, a, a, I remember painting a Space Marine Captain that um, has never been seen because we didn't even have time to finish uh, and photo it. It was like, you know, everyone was boxing everything up because the deal was that Brian got all the painted miniatures up to mm-hmm. that date. So everything was packed up, wrapped in issue paper and, you know, i just finished painting this figure and, and Phil Lewis was like, right, just wrap that up, put it in the box." I was like, we haven't even voted it. Well, it's Brian's now. And, well, I could even keep it. He wouldn't even know. No, no, it's Brian's. <laughs> um, and yeah, and that was weird. And we, we all got called into Phil um, Gallagher's room. And he was like, head of the office, I guess, and you'd see someone go in and you'd see them come back out and the head was down and Ivan and Dale were let go. Then Phil Lewis was let go and I was like, oh shit. And then I was called in and Phil Geller said, "Um, don't worry Tim, we're keeping you, you know. I think Alan Merritt once said that I was his right-hand man. He could like tell me what to do and I I would paint it, (laughs) which was a a weird kind of thing to say. But yeah, um, so they did keep me, but I was... I was a little bit disillusioned at that point. I was the party boy. I was, I was completely behind. It. And then to see all these people that I'd loved kind of lose their job. And then it was just me and Mike McVeigh in the paint team. Oh, shit. And then um, we were told that we were moving to Castle Boulevard. So we we had to pack everything. But Mike would just kind of disappear around the office. And he'd be like, right, come on, Tim. I'll pack it up. Oh, well, great. So I'm the grunt again. <laughs> so we, um, we packed all the heavy metal stuff up. I remember at the same time, the, the Perrys had brought a couple of big boxes in and said, oh, these are our miniatures. We don't want them anymore. If anyone wants to take any. And I was like, oh my God, there's just a horde of beautiful old miniatures, all metal-based. And um, yeah, I started rifling through that and I've still got quite a lot of that collection. Mike Mervey would come up every now and again. He would like to get downstairs. Yeah, 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 I will, I will. (laughs) I'd carry on rifling again, all these beautiful minuces. But yes, when we moved, it was very strange because it was just me and Mike. And we had a massive area. And we had to start repainting armies because obviously we didn't have anything to play with. We had nothing to show in white dwarfs. Um, So that was quite a hard task to... I think I was painting blood angels, um, space wolves, ultramarines. Just getting all these things together, getting the the units together, and then getting command groups and stuff painted.
3: Yeah, I, I think uh, yeah. Recently, recently it's been interesting that um, you know Mike's kind of resurfaced on uh, Instagram and whatever in the last few weeks, and he's sort of been posting a lot of his old uh, miniatures and sort of some of the background. But then thinking in terms of that, and in terms of what you were doing back then, Tim, that you were lucky and that you were kind of positioned in these really kind of quite um, kind of milestones within not just painting but also sort of uh, figure design and the evolution of Warhammer.
2: So you think, you know, you
3: know, there's been a lot of talk around the Elder release, okay? So of course, and of course Mike was very, you know, basically he led that and all the rest of it. But as you said, you got to do the Dark Reapers, and you know, yeah they were seminal at the time, but then later on you've already mentioned the blood angels and that was part of that effort to repopulate the, the, the cabinets. Right. But that yeah, was, yeah. Still, you know, the, the one more Marines, but plus like, <laughs> and all the rest of it. But I mean, but that was an iconic army that was literally like showing people, you know, this is what you can do when you can, you can bash out a really good looking army. That's mm. kind of like, you know, just base coded and black lining plus, you know, fully rendered, uh, like w- whether it's hero miniatures or, or, or whatever. But then I think really that the game changer um, for a lot of people was the Space Wolves, because that really, it was that that brought 40K, you know, and the new edition of 40K, that really dragged 40K into a new era. But those paint jobs and the way those new Space Wolves looked was was just something completely different. And if Mm -hmm. I'm correct, they were all yours, right? You basically did everything.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, The designs that Jez Goodwin was coming out with it uh, were so beautiful. And the, yeah. the, it was very crisp as well. The, I mean, we had the, the metal bodies and then you had everything else was plastic. So it was quite crisp plastic and the shoulder pads going on. Mm-hmm. It was more movement mm-hmm. then. I mean, the, the original one-piece metals, they were quite restrictive for casting reasons. So they were very flat. Whereas these new ones, were, there was a lot more movement and you could get some feel into these miniatures um, and then obviously when they started casting and he was sculpting the the bits onto all the space wolfy stuff all the furs and the skulls and stuff it was yeah it was bespoke for that chapter it was it was just really cool what he was doing it was just the designs he was coming out with um some of the best stuff he was he'd done to date
0: i still don't know how you paint that bloody gray mate <laughs> it's driving <laughs> me nuts <laughs>
2: It changes, it changes. And I, yeah. you know, I've got that um, diorama that I've been painting. I, um, I came back to it about 10 years later and I did, I should have looked at the miniatures I'd already painted. I thought, yeah, yeah, it's grey as grey. And um, I painted a new miniature up and then I put it in there. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Looked up slightly different this time. Um, it was the same paints I used to blend, but it's, it didn't go up as the previous one. Um, so they do stand out a little bit, but I thought, ah, well I actually remember, Tim,
3: it was probably like a game's day in around 92 or 93. That, um, you know, I'd, I'd come up to your thing, got your signature, and I was like, you know, how do you get this finish that you get? And you were like, oh, it's not the paint, it's the varnish. And you know, they all look the same as everyone else's, but once the varnish goes on, it smooths it all off. And I was thinking, this guy's bullshitting, you know, it's nothing to do with the varnish. <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: <yeah. laughs> Some of it was some of the, the reds I use are quite glossy and it really stands out. But if you matte it down, everything mattes down to a flat, flatter color. Um, but yeah, I really liked doing the the games days and Golden Demons because you could connect with the, the customer and people would come up and they'd say, "Oh, how do you do this color?" And you just quickly just do a uh, something on a, a miniature just so that they could see the way that you use the paints and how you took it up and i mean with all these new um marines that jez was doing the the edges were so sharp that you could just glide the brush along it it makes it so much easier if um the casting is prism and um you just guide the brush along it you don't have to be an expert then you just need to know how to take the paints up um and i think mike always had a different technique like a wet technique he would put the paint on and then he would blend it while it was on the the miniature, whereas I preferred to take it up more gradually. Um, so I didn't have to worry about the, the paint drying on the miniature. Um, I don't know whether he licked his brush while he was doing it, just to blend it. Um, yeah, everyone had a different technique of doing things. Um, but uh, you know, everyone wanted to emulate Mike's kind of painting because he was, you know, at the time he was pretty much the best painter we had. Um, yeah, and everyone had different styles. Ivan and Dale had more of an earthy kind of color scheme to their stuff, and, and Dale was colorblind, so he had to name all his color parts. Um, wow. it was amazing how he could actually still paint and, and do the stuff he did. Yeah, he was colorblind.
1: Um, sure.
2: Andy Craig, he liked um, his yellows and pinks, we always like teased him with the um blood bowl teams but he he did very vibrant colors it was very cool we were always having a laugh I mean we used to he'd um, like super glue something down on my desk so I'd super glue all his uh, ink pots down (laughs) (laughs) always teasing and messing around and stuff it was a good laugh
3: For, for, for a long time I was actually custodian of one of the was it the Luke rip, Whip Arm? The kind of, you know, the tentacle blood bowl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And his Yeah, that was awesome. And it, considering how old that was, he, he had a really nice blending technique on that. It was
2: mm, actually quite yeah. beautiful for the time, you know? I think he licked his brush. I'm just... <laughs> I had a flashbacks. So we used to sit across from each other. So my bench finished and his bench started. So we painted across from each other. I mean, we uh, fill those... I think he used to go to the library to get audio tapes and we'd listen to like um uh Sherlock Home tapes and all these other things it was just nice you just like tune out and paint mm. yeah, nice company nice people So,
3: mm. the, the guys I was, I was thinking like especially you know for Josh as well you remember what it was like when you were there but there was um how can I put it? There was a certain uh, kind of like story, a, a narrative that was always going on within Workshop and the Heavy Metal team. And I, back back in the day, um, especially when I joined, um, if we're going to be candid about this, like we, I came in at a time, and to be honest, like you know, you just couldn't mention Tim. <laughs> it's like he don't. What happened to? Yeah, yeah. So don't talk about Tim. Like, don't talk about Tim. like well, Tim is a god. No, no, don't talk about that guy. Okay. Um, but anyway so there's was, there was a bunch of stuff going on but interestingly um you know one of the things was uh of course there was all the the issue around Tim moving into design and sculpting and all the rest of it and mm-hmm. people didn't like the fact that he'd moved on and he was doing that all the rest of, it. And of course that then happened later on with other people and I literally myself had exactly the same thing I didn't get the suspension but I did get the you know they were thinking that maybe I was working for other people and so they started trying to like maneuver around that but then realize well it's we probably squeezy, can't. yeah yeah and I was exactly saying it was literally just because I'd gone up to in Edinburgh for an interview with Target and although I hadn't <laughs> actually done anything for it but I'd sit gone of and seen John Robertson and all the rest of it but they couldn't prove it. You know? so, yeah 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 the kind of but then but before that even I mean with the painting and which I find bizarre considering how things developed but there was a long period when um I first joined when that people were kind of like, oh, yeah, but Tim's, you know, he was just derivative, you know, he was just, like, copying Mike. I <laughs> like, well, of course, like, Mike was the best figure painter. Yeah. Prior prior to that, there was just all these different disparate styles, right? So there was mm. Ivan and Dale and Andy and whatever. And then, and even yourself, you had quite a different style. And then when mm. Mike, I guess with the elder and stuff, he kind of really formulated what would become the, the, the modern heavy metal style. And then you were the only guy that could get anywhere close to that and that and that makes perfect sense to me like why would you not do that and of course that is what's continued ever since right after that it became every every metal painter was meant to literally just do the (laughs) same thing but for some reason with you it was like oh no no that's that was just copying mike it's like what the fuck yeah (laughs) yeah. but yeah it's it's what they
2: wanted yeah i mean i a lot of the teaching that i had when i joined i was still very rough and i was at the The first um, space marine a very old plastic space marine i put together and i was not happy with the way i was nervous i was not happy the way it was it was coming along and i I just had a little bit of tuition with mike and i just i rethought the way i was blending and the second time it it worked a lot better um and i was i'm malleable i mean with sculpting as well i I love Jez Goodwing and I love um the Perry's uh, miniatures and I wanted to have the kind of clean cutness of of Jez, but with the, the characterfulness of the Perry's and trying those were always the sculptors I loved. Um and the same with painting. I thought Mike's painting was brilliant. Um it was what they were pushing towards. I mean Jez had quite a heavy hand in what was going on with his design, so the banners, he would draw the banners out and we would just put them on the photocopier and uh, get them to the right size and then paint them in. So he he led the design for the Eldar, he led the design for the Space Marines. And if he wanted a certain color scheme and, and Rick and Alan were cool with it, then that's the way the color scheme went. So it wasn't just that Mike was leading and I was following, it was that Mike was also being told, these are the kinds of color schemes we want it just so happened that our kind of schemes kind of came together and We were similar kind of style um it was just that mike got a lot of the leader figures he got to cherry pick quite a lot of the cool figures to do and actually when we just moved and we didn't have anything in the um, cabinet, we had these armies that we had to paint so i was mainly doing the the back work, the, the, all the units and stuff, and I get to get some of the uh, leaders sometimes. Um, but a lot, you'll find a lot of the cool stuff might have got to paint. But then when I think we started bringing people in from the shops, so they'd come in for like a week or two and then they would start painting up some of the art. And then that would free me up to do some of the more interesting stuff. And I guess when I got the, the Space walls to paint, then... Yeah, that was then it was allowed for me to do just you know space wolves and get all the leader types done and, and that kind of stuff. And the I remember doing the dark um dark house, the uh the dark angels. Um yep. and yeah, the the Terminators. That was so cool. Oh the, the Deathwing Death Wing. Yes, the Deathwing uh, stuff, yeah. That was some of the last things I actually painted, I think. I still remember the last thing I had. Uh, I was painting a dark elf ship. I was just finishing doing the sails on it, and uh, Alan Merrick came over, and that's when he was like, "Right, um, put everything down." And I was like, "Well, do you want me to just finish this figure?" I was very naive, and he's like, "No, no, put it down. You need to have a chat," and, and that's when he defended me. And was—I could feel it was coming. I'd emptied some of my better paintbrushes and took some paints home with me. I could feel. The rumblings and then everything he basically just stood over me and said right empty your desk and he watched as i you know making sure i wasn't really um it was, it was a bit bizarre it went from friendly atmosphere to like you no. you're naughty and um yeah you could feel it when you're outside and you bump into someone on the street after i'd left you could feel that i'd either been warned not to talk to you or um, they knew not to be seen with you because um, the bosses wouldn't like it. It was very weird. I remember talking to Colin Dixon about this years later. When he left, he had the same thing. Even then when he left, he turned around and he apologized and said, well, fucking hell. It's, it's just like when you left. You know, No one wanted to talk to you. And, and now I've left. It's the same thing. It's, you know, you're on the outside. outside it was um bizarre way of treating you you know and I I bumped into Alan Merritt years later um at one of the bring out your lead meetings um at Brian Ansell's place Mm -hmm. and he Mm -hmm. said you know that we should have kept you we should have kept you as a sculptor you know we regret ever having you know left and you've you've gone on to this life you've proved yourself as a sculptor um, and we should have kept him. And, and same with Kev White, we should have kept him. Uh, of course, they've got him back now.
3: He's back <laughs> he's there re- now, isn't he? Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's rejoined. He's, uh, I said, you've you've rejoined the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> it's funny. But yeah, he's, he seems to be loving it. Um, it's all, obviously, it's digital sculpting now. So he's sure. quite happy.
3: So if we can just like backtrack a little bit to the, um, a rebuttal, Tim because I think between most of the guys that Josh has interviewed, we have a pretty good kind of understanding of the history. But the one bit we don't, and it's something you just touched on, so I'm hoping maybe you can fill it in for us, Tim, oh. is that, that, that period. You know, and again, I know this is kind of like 30 years ago or something, but <laughs>
2: <not the> period.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But literally, when it's you know, so there's the shift, you know, Brian sold up, all the miniatures are gone, there's only mm. you and Mike. So that, and you've moved to uh, Castle Boulevard. That there must have been a short period between. I guess who was the next person in was like Kev, and then maybe Neil or whatever. Like,
2: yeah, what Stewart, happened there?
3: What was the well. yeah, Stuart? Yeah, what was that period like? And then you've mentioned people were being used from the stores and stuff. So yeah. how did that work? And then you know, getting Kevin. You know, that, that is a, kind of like a grey area for a lot of us.
0: So just right. just before we go into that, sorry Tim and sorry Dave, we mm-hmm. have to take a quick break. And when oh, yeah. we come back, <laughs> uh, to, coffee break. Yeah, we can have a quick coffee break, and when we come back, mm. we can divulge into that uh, that area of the story, which is, sounds very fascinating. So we'll be back in just a moment, guys. Cool awesome, thanks. Uh, we've we've come to a very interesting part. Dave's proposed this question to you about um the middle team and the uh, in-between stage. That's right. The history there. So please, Tim, let us fill us in, mate. What's happened?
2: What's happened? <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was an interesting new office. It was really cool. It was like a, a fresh start in a way, but it, it felt like there was a chapter that had just been finished, um, with the Enfield Chambers being left behind, which was sad in a way. I I, I could feel it was becoming more corporate and. Um, yeah, less personal. You know, you, you're you watched and you couldn't have too long a coffee break and you'd have to come back. And But the the new guys, um, they just gradually came in one at a time. Um, oh, there's Jay Tanner as well.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I don't know how long he stayed. Um, whether he stayed before, after I'd left or not, I can't remember when he went. Uh, there was Stuart, um, there was Kev White, and Neil, and then obviously Mike. Um, I'm not sure if there was any other people, but during the period where we were building the the painting back up, yes, we would definitely have people come in um, from the shops and they would stay for a week or two, I think, and, um, and help out with painting and uh, catching up with stuff. And there was, um, the Games Workshop had a house in Giltbrook where they would put all the, the new people um, they would keep them there for free. <laughs> I don't think they got paid that much. But they, the, that was the jump point for them to come into Nottingham, join the team, or join some part of Games Workshop. And then I guess they would move along, and then the new people would come into the house as well.
3: I just um, stayed in that house for a while. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was it? <laughs> you know, it was kind of bizarre. I joined in January '94, and that was mm. when... There was there was a, that really big push um, within the studio for all these foreign uh, staff that were going to like kick off, you know, the Italian business and w- whatever the Spanish business. So it was just a bunch of these people from Europe and later on from Japan and stuff where it was just like a melting pot of people coming in that were like really sort of super enthusiastic about the hobby and they were being mm-hmm. promised oh, you're going to be like the, the, the start of our businesses abroad. So it was kind of interesting at the time. Um, Especially I
2: how many bedrooms was the house there? I didn't think it was that big.
3: It was like three or four bedrooms, wasn't it? You know, yeah. so there was like there was the Giltbrook house and on the floor, the, yeah. <laughs> and then literally at the same time, like they had the um they started the trainee game designers program and they had their own uh company house right across the road from the factory, and they even had their own uh maid. Maid's not <laughs> the right word. They had, they had like a little old lady who would kick, c- cook them breakfast every morning, and like do oh, all their washing and everything. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> also, Make sure they had the sandwiches and got them off onto the bus. Yeah,
3: exactly, exactly. <laughs> How the other half lived, you know. Like you, you're a figure painter, and you're like scraping together enough money to like eat. <laughs> you yeah, know, but like the exactly. training design, a game designers had their own sh- uh, chef, basically. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. but it was Crazy all good times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, we, um, we, we had a merry old team of, of young people. It, was, it went from me being the youngest to everyone else kind of joining in, and I was just behind Mike. Um, and I don't know whether we cherry-picked all the, the figures we wanted to paint or, or things came along and we said, right, well, you, you do Space Wolves, and then Mike might choose what he wanted to paint, and the other guys might show an interest in something and to do a load of those figures.
3: What What is your, um out of all the stuff you paint, I mean, again, as I mentioned, like, I think for me, probably the most iconic sort of tin work is like the Space Wolves, but like personally, do you have like a, a favorite range or set of figures that you kind of feel uh, most
2: exempt? I, I did feel connect, very connected to the Space Wolves, really. Um, I really enjoyed painting them um, with the collection I've got at home on Space Wolves generally. Um I love the original Dark Elves uh, that the Perrys did, uh yeah. the metal based ones. Um it's tricky really. I've I've been doing so much of my own stuff at the moment for diehard miniatures that i am gonna try and think of a race of creature, it just springs into my head the stuff I've made. So um trying to think back to the old games workshop stuff. Uh the Skaven. I like Skaven, I like Nurgle. Nurgle was um mm-hmm. an army I like making for fantasy. Um, some of the Zin- Zinch stuff uh, I quite like the epic, uh, painting. the Nurgle epic army, um, which I've half got painted, half not they're all in boxes, because I just don't have enough room in the cabinets to get everything out um, Did yeah, you Nurgle. actually game-matched it?
3: like, Because I remember like, your, um, you know, your gorgeous Nurgle um, warband and stuff, but mm. did you actually do much gaming, or were you more of a you I was it. a
2: more collector, yeah, I was yeah. a collector and painter, I, I grew up, I'm, as I said, I, I had a friend who got me into it, but we, I mean, he had the, the first set of rules, um, Warhammer rules, and when I went to buy mine, the second edition, just second just um, and you, you read through it, and you make army lists, and then no one ever plays, <laughs> and you collect the miniatures, and no one ever plays, and we, um, we did a bit of, uh, the role play, um, fancy role play. Um, and uh, was it the power behind the throne and, and something rotten and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I was more into the role playing, I guess, with friends at school. Yeah. And then when I joined games workshop, it was, the play testing was fu- quite fun because then someone already knew the rules and Jervis would give you the, the, the rules to date, um, we play test the rules, um, so that's when we like uh, the third edition of the Bowl. or space. Or was pretty much finished at that point, but we we still had time to play test it. Um, and then what else would you the uh, the, uh, the epic was coming out as well. The mighty empires I loved mighty empires. Um, we we kind of did a, a mighty empires where you would go around and it was all blacked off, and then you go into a different section, and then you bump into someone's warband. And then you would fight. So I was fighting Adrian Smith's warband. Um, oh, cool. And that was quite fun. I had a really good warband. They had like um, a mutation. They had shuriken catapults for arms, <laughs> which was really cool. But then the unit had stupidity. So they were really crap at shooting. <laughs> <laughs> weapons. And then the gods left and gave them stupidity. Um, but yeah, it was it was playing those kind of games in the studio using the miniatures or using your own miniatures using the scenery uh, you could stay late you can early you can work weekends we used to work weekends at times um and it, it was nice yeah
0: excellent so yeah gaming was pretty much encouraged wasn't it like from all aspects of the studio like uh even the like illustrators uh figure designers painters, everyone's like really encouraged to get involved with like gaming after hours and then playtesting as you said, Tim. Is that right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, there was so much enthusiasm from certainly brand new recruits into the company that um, it just fueled it. And it's good because then it it might lead to a, a new game being made or it might lead to better rules being done or miniatures designed or certain kind of miniature that you know would fit the slot. Um, so yeah it it fed from itself it was it was very useful for the company to have that kind of attitude as well I mean an enthusiastic workforce is amazing isn't it especially if you're not paying them quite as much as they need to I mean you could pay them in lead I mean we used to order miniatures from the factory and all you had to do was pay the metal cost so you would have a massive box of you know lead turn up um, and that's you could convert things because you would order parts or you order the whole thing and then you just like whack all these things together. And it's, it would be a lot harder to do it these days because the, the kits are so expensive. To, to kit bash,
0: mm. you have to be
2: quite you know, wealthy.
0: <laughs> so it was actually really, um, this is really the play testing area, wasn't it? this this the studio was really the the place the hotbed where they actually bring it like release some kind of game and it they play test it within the studio and have the studio staff give them feedback on the development of the game would that would that be right
2: yeah absolutely I mean with Jervis or whoever else was designing these games they would be like running the tournaments or or watching the games and they would get feedback and they would see how armies. Um, worked and what worked and what didn't uh, and just tweak the rules like that Uh, yeah it was was a lot of fun for us to to play and and for them to learn and and to get the product you know completely set up
0: Mm. okay mate so now your time at Games Workshop obviously came to an end as we discussed before then you moved on to Target Games is that right?
2: Yes Uh, well it was a heartbreaker
0: heartbreaker Um, first Okay.
2: Yeah, they I guess they had the license for several different companies. So we we did some Earth Dawn through them. Um and the, the Target games came in with uh Mutant Chronicles and we did some uh the miniature range for um Wizard of the Coast. Um so yeah he he always had something coming up and we'd I've, I've worked for so many different companies pinnacle was in there as well and aeg and all these companies you try and think back i mean i've still got all my inforce books so i could go back and say exactly what i've been making over the years and how little i got paid for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's it's um yeah this we did a lot through bob watts at um heartbreaker and obviously with target mm-hmm. then. Chris, his friend, well, he's, he worked there as well, Chris Bledsoe, was going to come over. At one stage, we were going to have um, an office for Target in Nottingham. Um, but eventually, when John Robertson joined, um, he managed to wangle them to, to have it in Edinburgh. Um, and I almost moved up to Edinburgh to work there. Um, it offered. And we'd gone there for a week to work. and. Um, uh, Adrian Smith was there. He was doing some of the artwork Um, and met quite a lot of the people. It was very cool, very cool office. Uh, But in the end, I stayed in Nottingham. And then um, I started working for all these other companies as well. And eventually, I think I was working on some stuff for Wizard of the Coast. Not Wizard of the Coast, um, sorry. um, Wizards. their first set of miniatures. Um, So I was working through... Uh, Chris Bledsoe had joined them at uh, Ralph Partha they were producing the miniatures for this game and um, yeah that's where it it got me to 2000 and then in 2000 I um, kind of had a disagreement with my wife and we became divorced and uh, I remember uh, Chris Bledsoe he was in the um, See, uh, cincinnati office And they basically say well why don't you come over to america and mm. i was like Fuck it, yeah okay i'll come <laughs> i'm going through a divorce i'm you know i want to move and there was a uh, the design team there there was uh steve saunders dave andrews jeff grace jeff wilhelm and i went to work for them at uh, royal partha um Mm. And, yeah, it,
0: was, it was really cool. I th- I think Mike McVeigh worked for Ralph Partha too, didn't he, for a while? Um, not
2: that I'm aware of. He. Right.
0: I'm, I'm sure I picked people. up a magazine many years ago where it had Mike McVeigh painting for Ralph Partha Studios, and he had um, there was some miniatures, like it was a dwarf or a halfling or something that he painted up. He was working for them as a designer or something like that. Hmm. But, uh, he um, up, he went to
3: Wizards of the Coast, didn't he, for a
0: while?
2: Yeah, he went. Uh, what was that other company? Um, War
3: Machine Company, right? Yeah, um, yeah,
0: that's what it was, right? Yeah, yeah he because um, I think Wizards of the Coast must have uh, bought out TSR at that time. And yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's and, true. That's and, true. That's
2: exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, I did bump into him once at um, a convention. I think it was at Vegas. We went to the some game convention. Is <laughs> it Gamma? rock and roll? Isn't it? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it was-
0: <laughs> Shotgun and miniatures. It's all in one. Really? Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, it was there was a games convention, and um, Chris Bledsoe he had cancer at the time, and I mean he did die later that year, but he um, he went and got married to his his girlfriend there, um, Stacy, and. Yeah, we uh, he had the the, the Whitechapel wedding and Elvis was there. Funny, so funny. Mm. So funny. And, then, and then yeah, he did it at the the Gamma show, so we could go around and have a look at all the uh, the miniatures and uh, other companies. Um, and yeah, it was just a, a very surreal kind of thing. The Chas Elliott was there as well. I've got a photo of us all. Um, and we went for a meal afterwards. Um, and yeah love Chris to death he was amazing bloke but yeah he he died later that year um from cancer but yeah he was the reason I moved to America he was the one that said you know come on come over join the team you know you've not got anything to lose yeah and I learned so much from the lads I mean Jeff Grace was an amazing sculptor um doing his technique and uh Steve Saunders as well and and Dave has been in the industry. He feels like Dave's been in the industry for such a long time. Um, and Jeff Wilhelm, he was very good with the Met Warriors. He, Before it all went digital, he used to um, uh, just make them by hand, uh, just layers of Millipot um, all kind of glued together and then filed flat. Um, but yeah, it was a very good team. and And just to see the old Ral Partha that you you, know, you used to hear about, it was you didn't realise that there was a, a whole other company out there, because you know, I was from the, the Citadel side, the Games Workshop side, I didn't, I knew of Ral Partha, but I didn't realise who they really were, with all the Tom Meyer figures, which I used to love um, but yeah, it was cool to look around the old office, and, and I, I don't think it's there anymore now um, once WizKids took over, um, they bought the rest of the company out because there was FASA. And FASA owned Ralph Partha. And there were three owners of FASA. Um, there was Mort, his son Jordan Wiseman, and this other bloke. And they bought him out. And then they owned the company. I, I guess they wound down the rest of the company. 'Cause they they wanted the main sculptors to be working on uh WizKids stuff. And that's where WizKids took off. And it it just went mental. The 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 amount of miniatures they used to sell. You, I'd sell maybe one or two figures that would be, you know, a few thousand figures. But when you were working for WizKids, you'd be selling millions of figures. Uh, uh, yeah, it it took me in a different direction. I ended up living in Seattle for two years after Central. Uh, at the head office, um, which is really cool. And we're actually going back uh, this year for the first time in about 20 years. I've not been to America for years, almost. Um, and I've got friends over there still. And um, I've said we'll, we'll come back again and we're going on a family holiday um, and we'll end up in Seattle for a few days and see all my friends <laughs> and see what's changed. <laughs> I think it's changed quite a lot.
0: Wonderful, because I think uh, Tim. Am I right in saying that your wife is American? Your, your, your new wife? No,
2: no, she's from uh, the north. Oh,
0: okay, <laughs> I, I, I had I had some I'd read something that um, you had met somebody or whatever who was also a miniature painter, and you got married or something. I, I can't remember. It was like an article I, I read in some magazine year, many years oh, ago. So I'm, I apologize if I got that story no, all mixed oh, up. Lies, lies. Now, um, my <laughs>
2: first wife. Used to paint miniatures and I, right. I taught okay. her um, a little bit, and she got quite good at painting miniatures. And then when we were at um, Heartbreaker, um, a lot of the miniatures that needed to be painted for Mutant Chronicles was either myself or my wife um,
0: painting. Right. them. That's where I got that from. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, sorry, to pry into, sorry to pry into your personal life there, Tim, but no, 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 no. Trying not to th- make that connection with you in America, I thought that's, that's what it was. <laughs> Gotcha. Okay. Uh, but that must've been an amazing thing because, you know, if you look at target games and what they did for heartbreak, you know, looking at that particular era, I mean, that was pretty, you know, that sort of rivaled games workshop and Citadel miniatures in a lot of ways because they had a lot of ex, you know, Citadel designers working there. They had like Adrian Smith, of course, working with, on Chronopia mm. um, fantasy range, um, Kev Adams, yourself, and a number of other people there, yeah, yeah, Elliot, really hilarious. quality stuff, yeah, really quality yeah. games, and and oh, Paul, Paul Bonner, I mean, I can't I'll understand up, Paul Bonner's influence in his artwork <laughs> or, um for uh, for that. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, yeah, so it's a pretty special yes. time too, yeah, You know, when you think about it.
2: Yeah, it's just it's funny how we the they shed talent so much, and then this talent slowly coagulates and joins into. Their own little companies. I mean, it, it still happens now to this very day. Mm. Um, I guess you've got um, Mantic and try uh, to think of the other companies that are out there. But yeah, the you know Warlord, um, yeah, all these companies.
3: I mean, isn't that the thing though, Tim? Like these days, like there's so many out there. I think, but back in the day, it was so limited. And I think you know I've read else elsewhere. You know the. Um, when you left workshop that Rick had sort of said, hey, you know, like it's a college, college industry out there. Yep. You're going to suffer. But yeah, that was the case back then. And They, always, they u- always used to threaten everyone with that. But it's not the case anymore, <laughs> is it? It's like, you know, it's literally, a, it's a paradise now because, you know, with 3D printing or whatever, with uh, 3D design, but then also the fact that anyone can literally, within seconds, set up their own online store to sell their goods. You know, it's, it's
2: completely Absolutely.
3: changed. Yeah.
2: The internet has changed everything so much. I mean, a lot of the people, when I used to go to like Gen Con and stuff and people would come up to me and say, hey, Tim, and I'm like, hey. And I'm like, I I might have worked for them. I might have done something for their company. um, And I really wished I could remember them. And my memory is crap anyway. But I mean, I was like, hey, how you doing? And, And hopefully that some way through the conversation, they'll mention something or trigger a memory um but yeah because you work over the internet you never meet them you, yeah. you don't talk to people anymore it's it's emails or it's through facebook or whatever yeah. um even with like uh, the the customers i have um diehard and from the kickstarter you you start to recognize names and you might recognize a profile picture um and they become friends almost you know it's because they will be You've I've done eight Kickstarters now and I recognize some people who come back and they're very loyal and they, they might, you know, push your stuff, push a link on, on Facebook or whatever. And it's like, that's really cool just to have a connection with your customer and your fan base. Um, and I'm quite loyal to these people because they're loyal to me and they they pay my wages. Um, but yeah, I try and just bump into people at conventions and they're. Well, happy to see you and you're like
0: hey how you doing who are you <laughs> well that's a, that's a good segue mate. because uh yeah of course you're the um you're the, you're the founder of diehard miniatures and yeah. you just had another successful kickstarter campaign that uh wrapped up uh last week last week yeah yeah, yeah. so how, how's it all been mate? how did that all start for you like the whole diehard thing um we were, It were just a bunch of sculptors
2: talking. There was uh, myself, Chaz Elliott, um, Drew Williams, uh, uh, Richard Long, the artist. Um, and we just kind of coalesced. And I think we're fed up of working for the people and we thought we could do something for ourselves. And the, the fact that Kickstarter was quite a big thing, I'd, I'd worked for several companies that had on kickstarters um, like reaper um, and a couple of other ones and they they seem to be doing really well it was like the, ro- the wild west of of making money it seemed that there was no boundaries and people just threw money at, at these things i was amazed so i thought well why can't we do that and um we kind of came up with the idea of of doing different factions we'd do a fighter a wizard and a monster And we had, I think, about nine factions. um, And we just picked three that we liked. I had the the Urokin, which is like the Slan, um, Chaos, and Undead were my favorites. Um, And then we all sculpted one figure for each. And we did a a familiar as well, a little character for each of them. Um, And then launched it, I think it was 2015, was the, the first Kickstarter we did um and it went really well um and we but i I realized at the time i was kind of at the end i was pushing the agenda i was the company to go in that direction and get the project finished and it's very hard i mean you've got two americans a guy on the isle of lewis and me in nottingham and you maybe you pull in different directions you maybe pull at the same speed or it it was hard to get everyone as focused. And I thought, you know, I really want this to go further. So I, I tasted something that I liked. And so once the first one was over, um I decided to push on with the second one. Um and I still use them every now and again. I, I get a, a different sculpture in just to help out or just to have a name. So that white was in the the latest one. Um, and he did a lovely figure just before he, game, he went to Games Workshop. So um, I thought that was good timing just to get maybe the last physical score they ever do um, for our range. Um, but, yeah, I, I try and do one every year. And each time the, the Kickstarter finishes and everything's been shipped, then that range goes onto the website and that fuels the website. And then I start, I've already started thinking about the next year's project now. I've already started, it's going to be undead. So I started putting things together for that. And I've got three armatures already wired up, and I'll be sculpting those next week. So, um, yeah, it just keeps moving. Like a shark, you have to keep swimming, otherwise, you sink.
0: <laughs> no, that's fair enough, mate. I you know, I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful outlet for uh, people like yourself and other miniature designers or creators um that uh, kickstarter gives them sort of a you know their own little platform uh, to build a, a community and a following and people can support them and support their living so yeah that's really good mate so i'll leave i'll leave links in the show notes so people can go to see your main website at diehard miniature because things that obviously come through the kickstarter eventually come available to retail and people can purchase those and that kind of thing so, um, so your range is sort of like, from what I can see, uh, very heavily inspired by. Um, is it Dr- Judge 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 Dread that kind of thing? It's,
2: yeah, uh, two thousand AD, um, yeah, two thousand AD, old yeah. old school kind of um, games workshop as well. Um, whatever's floating around that kind of catches my eye, kind of Star Wars, maybe a little bit. <laughs>
0: yes, that's right. Uh, so, a little bit of influence there. Um, mm. You've also done some work, really nice stuff, actually, uh, talking about, like, Realms of Chaos and that kind of thing, like Saves of Darkness and that kind of thing. You did a lot of designs for Diego at Nightmare Games.
2: Yes, yes. We um, There was another company. There was Mickey Leach. He had a company. He was doing some stuff, at, and it, it failed to go ahead, so we had some miniatures spare, I think, Diego bought a couple of figures from him, but also I've done some more to add to some of Diego's range for the early stuff. I managed to keep my ads. I got these two snake men um, that are part of the Die Hard stuff now. I had done those for Mickey Leach, but um, when the project fell apart, I thought I'd keep them for myself, um, which I'm quite glad I did. They sell quite well. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I did some stuff for Diego. It was really nice bloke, you know, yet again, someone you've never met someone that you've talked to on Facebook. I don't think we've even had a phone call, but in this modern day, you, you make connections and you work for people and you trust each other and you know, you, you trust that the person will sculpt it for you. The other end, you trust that they'll paint that they'll pay you. Uh, once the sculpt's finished and then, you know, you post everything off and then you trust that the postage will actually, you know, get your miniature to wherever you're sending it to. That's always a, when I used to do stuff for Reaper, I'd send several miniatures worth quite a bit of money. And you hoped you We used to use FedEx and you'd hope it would get there in one piece and it didn't go missing. Um, I didn't fancy, even, you know, re-sculpting figures over again and touch what nothing has ever gone missing in the post uh, somehow.
0: And anyhow, mate, that's, that's really fascinating. But um, look, Tim, I want to really want to thank you again for coming on and Dave as well, for sharing your stories, insights, the history of what what you, what you've been through and what you've done um, to bring a lot of, I think a lot of joy to a lot of people. Uh, And I think that's reflected in, as I talked about with Instagram and our Facebook, uh, heavy metal uh, showcase of your miniatures and that kind of thing. I think a lot of people, you know, look at that. The nostalgia brings them a lot of joy, especially for mm-hmm. Dave, because I know Dave really wanted to come on because you know he's one of the all-time uh, heroes in painting. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's good, mate. It's great. It's great that you can come on and, and talk about these kind of things and talk about your experience about what you know what was like working in the heavy metal team because a lot of people are very curious as to what that was, that, that, what experience that would have been been like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're very young when you joined the team as well. Um, yeah, yeah. That into perspective as well. I mean, you know, you're very, very young. So, it, yeah, it takes me back.
2: Once I start talking, it's I picture myself in that place. And you, because th- sometimes it sounds like a ramble, but the the fact is, in my mind, I'm in that office. I can smell that horrible smoke, and um, I can see the people that I've seen. And you know, sometimes you, you think about, well, I've not seen Phil Lewis for years, but in my mind, he's that same person. Yeah, you know he, he's probably a lot
0: older. So. Actually, yeah, Phil looked, looked nice really old this. then. He, he looked really old in those photos. Like, how, <laughs> how old was he? <laughs> well, um,
2: he could have only been what late forties, maybe.
0: Yeah. Okay. In his forties, yeah. Getting well, on a bit now, old Phil. Yeah, he, he must, must be been around. Yeah.
2: He used to wear jumpers. He you would be amazed if it was a really <laughs> hot day in summer. He would take one of his layers off. Uh, but he would have maybe four or five jumpers on i'm not kidding and he still looked skinny and yeah. some weird kind of creature underneath there if he completely stripped off he would be like skin and bone i don't know but uh yeah he'd get hot and he'd, he'd strip one of his jumpers off. Bless i
0: think i think there's mr the whiskey they had the cigarettes there but they didn't have the whiskey that, that would have been perfect then yeah if they had yeah. that bottle of whiskey and, uh, and your cigarette ashtray and your smokes that'd be wonderful yeah mate that sounds really good I reckon that'd be like you know because you know, I joined when uh, Dave was there in the mid 90s but it would have been awesome to be there I think you—I think like Dave said I think you, you were the one of the last people to really um, see like the best of what those guys are doing like I, I always look back at because uh, I found a, a book called Heroes for War Games I don't know if you've ever heard of heard about that from tiger publishing um you've got it probably there but man i mean you know you look at those miniature like that was like really early 80s mid 80s i think but man the paint jobs in there just blew me away you know because i came in it from you know from early 90s like late 80s early 90s but wow those the paint jobs and that the creativity the um the the freedom of expression and all that yeah. that came with it. I mean, they were using enamel paints. They were using like really glossy paints. Paint. Yeah. yeah. All that kind of stuff. It was just yeah. incredible. Like the amount of like freehand and details and yeah. uh, character they could put into a little blob of metal was just amazing. So yeah, that, yeah. you know, that, you know, you, you sort of saw that, you, that it became a craft. It became like an art form. And, um,
2: well, John Blanche—the the things that John Blanche used to paint, with the Mona Lisa on the, um yeah. the, the banner, or the tiger yeah. face on a on a shield It's awesome. What he used to do. Yep, that's, that's right.
3: I it what, Josh. It's probably impossible, but talking of enamels, if you could somehow get hold of Fraser Gray, and get oh, him to yeah. yeah, he's,
0: he's like, still wow, going, that that. going he's like Amazing. He's still going. Yeah. Like Fraser's still going, and and really? I see Instagrams. Yeah, he's on Instagram. Go and check it out. I'll I'll put a link in this in the oh, show notes. Yeah, Tim, oh, okay. Tim, you can see him as well because yeah. he his his stuff is just like off the charts. Like his his stuff was off the charts when I saw it in White Dwarf. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah,
3: yeah. So like Dave Sober, right? So like was a god. Like when we were kids, and he's. Yeah.
0: Cause he still, he still, like he was like a graphic designer, like as a professional career, he did graphic yeah, design, yeah. and then he quit mm-hmm. and did full time painting as a miniature painter. For uh, he must have like really rich clientele that he just services them in their projects and that kind of thing, and they just pay okay. him.
3: I guess he won the lottery or
0: something. Maybe won the lottery, <laughs> and you know, but he does. He's still you though, he isn't really it? young. You know. <laughs> he looks really, really young. I was really surprised when I saw his photo. He, like he looks young, lot like, younger than me. <laughs> um, so yeah very surprised so he's still going strong so that's really good to see yeah that's uh, cool. but yeah but um, anyhow boys we'll have to finish it here guys I'm really sorry but it was really Memorized. great talking to you both uh, Tim and Dave so and uh, thank you very much again for this evening
2: thank you thank you you're very thank welcome you yourselves
0: guys and hope to yeah. he- hope to get you on again sometime in the future maybe so until yep, then absolutely good night and take care good
2: night, good night. yes guys.